All right, well, this morning we're going to be starting a brand new series. It's actually a series that I've been thinking about doing for over eight months, and, and I really kind of wanted to fit into a time frame. Obviously, this is Easter season. We're getting into Easter time, and this is a five-week series that I'm very excited about sharing with you, and it's entitled The Final Week. It's entitled The Final Week. We're going to, over the next five weeks, begin to look at the last five weeks of Jesus earthly life. We're going to look at basically not just the, 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 the last week of Jesus. We're actually on the fifth week after Easter. We're actually going to spend a couple of, of, of moments looking at some of the things that took place after his resurrection as well. But mainly this series is going to focus in on this last week, this last week of Jesus's life. Now here's what's interesting, as we, as we have understood the Bible and, and, and how it was written with, with the Gospels and all these sort of things, this has kind of been leading up to this moment. His birth, his, his young childhood, his life, his ministry, all of those things have been building up to this moment. We are finally at the climax of the story. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to dive into some areas. Now, in some ways, we're going to have to take a very high level kind of view of these things because there is just so much here. But we are going to take some time on some specific ideas and some specific things to really try to dive a little bit deeper and look at this last week of Jesus's life. As an understanding of, of his mission, to understand who he was, understand what he was here to do. All of these things wrapped up in this final week. Because in some ways, man, Jesus did some amazing things. He taught some amazing things. He showed some amazing things. He, he, he riled up some people. I mean, he did some very strange things at times where we kind of go, what, why did he do this? And so we're going to take some opportunities as, as, as it looked at all these things together, we're going we're gonna to go through each day together and see what God wants us to see. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing you need to understand about this series. This is in your notes. This is the most important week of the most important person who ever lived. This is it, man. This is important that we catch this. So before we jump into Sunday, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity to be together and be with you. Father, I pray that you would just speak through me right now. That, Father, my words would cease and that yours would begin. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so let's go ahead and let's start with Sunday. Sunday, we're going to be in several of the Gospels. We're going to kind of jump around to an extent as far as we're going to be in Matthew for a little while. Then we're going to be in Mark and then we're going to be in John. And so we're going to be jumping around quite a bit throughout the Gospels. So if you have a Bible, please be looking through there. Grab your phone, however you use it. They'll be up on the screen as well. So whatever you got, let's start. We're going to actually start in Matthew 21. So we're going to look at Matthew 21, starting verse number one, going through verse number eight. So here's what it says. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, again, Sunday, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead. says, go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. Then he took place, this, they took, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. 
Verse number 6. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, now here's the thing. We're going to, in just a moment, we're going to kind of give you some context. We're going to give you some, some kind of the setting, kind of the scene that this is all taking place on. Remember, this is, this is on Sunday. But as you saw in Matthew, we see a quotation. We see a prophecy that's given. That prophecy is from Zechariah 9.9. I wanted to look at that with you. So if you want to throw that up there. Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So, so here's the thing. I'm going to kind of set the scene for you now. Okay? So it is Sunday. Passover is just a few days away. Jesus has recently just raised Lazarus from the dead. And now they're getting ready to enter into Jerusalem. This is obviously what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. But we're going to give it a little bit more depth than that. Okay? So Jesus says, listen, I want you to go ahead. I want you to find this donkey. And I want to ride him into Jerusalem. So, so Jesus commands his disciples to do that. They go. They bring the donkey to him. And Jesus begins to, to do this. Now... This is to fulfill a prophecy that we just read about in Zechariah. Now, here's the thing that we need to remember about the time and the culture and the situation. These people who are there are pilgrims, a lot of them, traveling to Jerusalem for Passover. So the city is full. It's bustling. There's people everywhere. Kind of imagine, I know this is for some of you, you'll go, it's not like this anymore. But just go back about 20 years, okay? This is like the mall at Christmas time, okay? Now, I know we go to the mall now and it's like, where is everybody? But this is before the internet, okay? So everything's bustling, everything's busy, people are talking, people are excited, Passover's coming, and then there's this, these words that sort of kind of trickle through the crowd. Hey, have, have you heard about Jesus? What, what do you mean? What, what do you mean? Do, do you know, the, there, there was a guy named Lazarus, he raised him from the dead. How long was he in the grave? Three days, no way! I mean, all these things are starting to come, and there's this beginning to be this messianic excitement, messianic expectation, and so Jesus comes and he goes to his disciples. He says, listen, go get this colt. And I'm going to ride it in. Well, here's the thing. All these people know this prophecy. Okay? If you don't know this, a lot of people during this time and in this culture, they would memorize scripture. Okay? I mean, like, you know, like we, we're all impressed. Like, I memorized a scripture verse. They would memorize books of the Old Testament. So they knew what to look for. And so Jesus comes in and he gets on this donkey and he begins to ride in the city and the people start going, this is Jesus, this is it, this is exciting. They go and they cut palm branches, they begin to do all these things. Now let's kind of pick up the story again in Matthew 21, starting with verse number 9. It says, Jesus was in the center of the processional and all the people around him were shouting, praise God. For the son of David. Now, that phrase, son of David, this is a messianic title. You have to understand what they're saying here. They're not just saying, oh, goody, a prophet has come. Oh, goody, a good man has come. Oh, goody, a moral teacher has come. They're saying, no, 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 no. This is the Messiah. This is God's son who has come. This is a big deal. He says, blessing all the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he 
entered. Okay? Let me, let me explain this to you. Jesus, when he comes in, he comes in big. Jesus, like sometimes you kind of hear Jesus kind of kind of would sneak in and then kind of sneak out. This is not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is coming in. He specifically gets on a cult to declare who he is to these people. Like they know immediately. Like they're walking down the road and all of a sudden, here's this guy. Who's the guy on the donkey? That's Jesus. That's Jesus? That's Jesus. The guy that raised Lazarus from the dead? Yeah. The guy that fed 5,000? Yeah, that's the guy. Oh man, this is big. And they begin to kind of, as the Bible says, they kind of get so excited here. They're like, oh my goodness, it's Jesus. The whole city becomes in this uproar. Again, they're there for Passover. They're there for all these events. They're excited. And now Jesus has finally come. The son of David has come. Let's, let's look at John now. Let's kind of see how John kind of gives us an idea, kind of gives his view of these events. So it's John, 4, or John 12, this is what it says. It says, the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. So John gives us a slightly different view of this, which I, is really interesting. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Verse number 14. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and were telling others about it. That was the reason that so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after so Jesus, man, he, he, he does it big. He comes in big, and people are so excited. But here's the thing. That's not all that takes place on Sunday. We typically focus on it because it's a big deal and it's important, but there's not, it's not all that happens. And we see a little bit more that happens on Sunday in John 12, 12, starting with that. So let's look at that. So Jesus now begins to... Speak, he begins to prophesy a little bit. He says this, Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of lives. Now let's jump to 12, 27 and 28. Now my soul is deeply troubled. This is Jesus speaking. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. So Jesus begins to kind of talk about why he's there. Even after this moment, okay? This moment of, of messianic expectation that's now gripped the city. This excitement. Jesus begins to teach and begins to say, no, 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 no. You're, you're missing it. You're missing it. That's not why I've come. I've come to do something else, something greater, something more important. And then he continues on in John 12, 32 and 33. He says this, he says, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. 
he said this to indicate how he was going to die. So yeah, Jesus comes in big. He comes in excited. Everybody's excited on Sunday. But Jesus doesn't miss an opportunity to say, listen here, guys. You need to see what God's doing here. Listen, I'm all for excitement. I can be very excitable. And that's great. But listen, excitement without clear biblical direction is not always a good thing. And Jesus is sitting here, listen, you need to understand what God's word is saying. Yes, you can be excited. Yes, you should be excited. God's going to do a good thing. God's going to do a new thing. But you need to understand what God's doing. And here's what's interesting. These men that followed him for three years, as it said in scripture, still didn't always understand. Now listen, I don't say that to, 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 to knock them. I don't say that, oh, how could, how could Peter, James, and John not understand? I'm saying that to help us sometimes. Because you know what? I don't know about you. But there's times where I don't always understand what Jesus is doing either. And in those moments, we can go to him and he can say, let me help you see. Let me, let me help you to understand what my plan is. And so he not only comes in as this, this messianic person, he not only comes in as the, the king that they think is going to come and, and do this great thing. Here's the thing. They're not expecting him to die on a cross. They're expecting him to kick out the Romans. They're expecting him to become and set up an earthly kingdom. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. There's something greater God's going to do. Something greater. To kind of close out Sunday, we're going to look at Mark 11. Because Mark 11, 11 kind of helps us understand a little bit more what happens on Monday. So in Mark 11, 11, it says, So Jesus came to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. It says, after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. So, so in this situation, what Jesus tends to do on these days is he tends to, to come into Jerusalem and then he tends to, to go back to Bethany or kind of the Mount of Olives. Bethany was a village kind of on right by the Mount of Olives and things of that nature. We'll see that in a little bit. But, but so Jesus comes in, he begins to do things, and then he leaves. And so before Jesus leaves on Sunday, he specifically goes to the temple. He looks around, he sees what's going on, and then he leaves. Let's go on to Monday. It's Monday morning. Now, let's jump into the Bible. Let's see how Monday goes. Mark 11. Now, I'm going to throw that up there. And I told, this is not Linda's fault. This is my fault. And everybody else's, because I gave it to Linda wrong. Okay? We're in Mark 11, not Mark 12. Okay? So if you're looking in Mark 12, that's not correct. I gave her the wrong number. I have a lot of scripture. And so I, I gave her Mark 12. The next two uh, verses we're going to look at are actually Mark 11, not Mark 12. So Mark 11 Starting with verse number 12, it says this. On the following day, being Monday, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Okay? Now, this is an interesting story. Okay? We're going to get to this in a moment, but we have to kind of go through some things. What we're going to be seeing here is what, what John Mark does is he does something called bookending, okay? So he's going to, he's going to in, his, in his gospel, he's going to start with a story. There's going to be a story that matters to the story at the beginning, and then he'll conclude it, okay? 
We're going to look at that all together in just a moment. But in this story, we see Jesus. Now, maybe Jesus just got up on the wrong side of the bed. On It's Monday. I mean, listen, it's Monday morning, okay? It's Monday morning, okay? I don't know anybody necessarily that has good Monday mornings, okay? Maybe Jesus didn't have one. We don't know. Maybe Jesus was upset because, as it says, there should have been figs. There weren't. All these sort of things. But regardless, Jesus curses the fig tree, okay? He says, no more fruit, and they continue on. Now, let's continue on with the story at Mark 11, starting with verse number 15. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. I want to stop here just a second. And I want you to do me a favor. If you have a a Bible that you still mark in or if you have a a, a phone that you can highlight, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to highlight a word that you probably aren't going to expect. I want you to highlight the word tables. Okay? I'll explain more in a minute. Highlight the word tables. Okay? Verse number 16. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of the religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and his disciples left the city. Okay, so... So in this day, we see a couple of things, and we're going to kind of, we're going to bookend them here in just a moment. But Jesus has come on the road to Jerusalem. He sees a fig tree, which he expects there to be figs. There isn't figs, and he curses the fig tree. Then he goes into the temple area, and he begins to drive out the, the money changers and the temple people that are there. The Bible says that he, he flips over the tables, and basically he basically begins to communicate some, some things about what the temple should be and all of these things. Okay. Now, there's been many times where people have looked at why Jesus was so upset here, what he was trying to communicate, and, and there's lots of things here. Okay. There's lots of things that that are probably true that probably have some truth to them. One of them may be that Jesus was upset because these these area that these were all set up in was the the temple of the Gentiles. And basically it was preventing people from getting into this area. Others could be because uh, maybe Jesus was upset because a lot of these people were basically cheating people. You see, they had to buy sacrifices because they were traveling from other places to Jerusalem. And so basically because of that, they had to give sacrifices to God. And so these money changers were basically upcharging them because these were basically, you know, pilgrims coming in. You know, it's kind of like people do today, you know. And so he was, maybe he was upset about that. There's lots of things that Jesus was upset about. But here's the thing we have to remember. If Jesus came and he was flipping over tables to basically get them to stop, he failed. He failed. Because he flips over the tables, money goes flying, everything goes crazy. I mean, it's, it's a nutty experience. But as we know, Jesus has done this before. And they were come back doing the same thing. What do they do? Jesus leaves, they set back up the tables. They put their money back on the tables. They continue on doing what they're doing. So, so why is Jesus doing this? What is the point here? What, 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 here's the thing. Remember I talked about bookending? Remember I talked about how Mark starts, and so does Matthew. He starts with this idea of the fig tree. Okay? 
and then he bookends it the next day. To understand all about the fig tree and to understand all about the cleansing of the temple, we have to understand that those stories have been bookended together for a purpose and a reason. And we're going to look at that this morning. So let's start again now. Let's go to Tuesday. So Monday, Jesus curses the tree. He drives him out and then he goes back, basically. And the Bible says that he travels back that night. So now we're on Tuesday morning. So let's pick up the story Tuesday morning. Mark 11. Mark 11, 20 through 21. It says the next morning, so this is Tuesday, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the, tree, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Okay? So, so now we're kind of seeing what John Mark is doing here. Okay? He starts the day before. He curses the fig tree. He goes, he cleanses the temple. Then the next morning they go and they pass by the fig tree and they realize, oh my goodness, the fig tree has been withered. To understand all of it, we have to look at it together. We have to understand. So, 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 the, so the question is, then why did Jesus do all this? Why does Jesus curse the fig tree? Why, why, why was, why, that sounds kind of cruel, kind of mean. Why does Jesus turn over the tables? Why does he do this? Well, I want to present to you as something I feel like that, that, that God is, has been laid on my heart to understand this whole series of events. You see, what was on those tables matters. Okay, what was on those tables is important. You see, most people and most theologians believe that those tables contained a couple of things. One, they were where people would come in to give their temple tax. Okay, every Jewish man had to pay what was basically a half shekel temple tax. What they would do is they would come in and they would pay that. And at those tables, that's where that payment was being exchanged. The reason why, according to the Old Testament, they would give that temple tax was to help provide for sacrifices that would take place at that time. So you would pay your temple tax, the priest would then take that and use that to basically present sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. Okay? This is very important. This is a very important understanding. Second of all, they would also use that, again, as we probably are more accustomed with, with this idea of selling the animals that would then be used. So you would have to pay your temple tax, and that would cover, to an extent, the sacrifices for the nation, but you also had to be willing to sacrifice things for yourself. So they would come and they would, they would pay. I, I need a dove, or I need this animal, so that they could take that animal, sacrifice it, so that they could receive atonement for their sins. Jesus walks in and he begins to flip these tables over. He begins to say, now here's why this is so impressively horrible to the Pharisees. What Jesus is doing is basically saying this. He's saying the way that you would get atonement for sin is no longer going to work. These men were saying, wait a minute, this is how we get forgiveness. This is how we're brought near to God. Now, I understand that anytime man gets their hands on God's stuff, some bad things could happen. And there were some, some, some bad things happening with the exchange rates and all these things. But this was still the way these people had understood that they were going to connect with the Father. They were in the temple. 
They were there to meet with him, to receive forgiveness. And Jesus begins to flip the tables over. Now, here's what's funny about that. There's only one man who has ever lived who has the right to flip over those tables. And it was Jesus. Why? Because Jesus said, no, 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 no. There's a new way coming. There's a new way coming. Look in your notes. The only man that could turn over those tables was a man who was able to set up a new table. A new table. Not an old table. Not an old covenant. Not a way that says, I can't get to God anymore. He's too far. I have to go through the blood of, of a goat or a lamb or a dove. But no, a new table set up by our Jesus. He was saying, listen, you don't need these tables anymore because of what I'm going to do. You're not going to need these tables to get to me and my Father anymore because of what I'm going to do. These tables are null and they're void. And he begins to flip them over. Look at Hebrews 10. Love this verse. First Christ said, you do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings, or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Those tables had a purpose. But Jesus is saying, I'm bringing up a new table. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse number 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. He flipped the tables because Jesus said, I got a new table I'm setting up. And this new table is so much better. Once and for all, we can come. And we don't have to come through the blood of a goat or a lamb or an animal. No, we come by the blood of our Savior who's made a way where there seemed to be no way. He flipped them over. But let's continue. There's more. There's more. Let's go on now. Mark 11 continues the story. Now this is again on Tuesday. On Tuesday, they are heading back to Jerusalem. And he has found the tree that has been cursed. Now John Mark is going to book in this story. He's going to help us to understand what Jesus was doing and what Jesus wants us to see. Look at Mark 11, 22 through 23. This is just after Peter has noticed this situation. Then Jesus speaks... Then Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. Now again, if you have your Bibles, if you have a highlighter, I want you to highlight a word that you're not going to expect. I want you to highlight the word, or actually two words, this mountain this mountain because i've heard teachings on this scripture before but i think that and i think they've been good and i think they've been right i think they've been fine but i think there's we're going to twist the diamond a little bit here and we're going to see another facet of god's word that i think is very important because here's the thing 
as I was studying this over the last couple of months, I began to look at that phrase, this mountain. Why is it this mountain? Why doesn't Jesus say a mountain? This mountain, and look, at, I, I went back to the original Greek, and, and this is a correct translation. I went and looked at pretty much every translation I could find, and I, it was the same thing. This mountain, this mountain, this mountain, this mountain. This is a correct translation. Why does Jesus say this mountain? Why doesn't he say a mountain? Why is he speaking specifically about something? Well, I think we can find out if we understand a little bit about what's going on in the story and understand what Jesus has just done the day before. Okay? Now, I'm going to throw a map up here, and I really hope you're going to be able to see it. There it is. Good, you can. Okay? Now, I want you to do me a favor. You see where it says home of Martha, Mary, La Don't forget that. Okay? I needed this map, but it's not what I needed it for. Okay? I want you to understand what we see in here. Okay? So down below is Bethany. That's basically the area that Jesus is spending the night. The road going from Bethany up to Bethpage is kind of right there. We don't know exactly where this fig tree was, but according to what we see in Scripture, it was probably somewhere along the road. Okay? Jesus and his disciples are walking along this road. More than likely, Jesus gets hungry somewhere along the road. It's about two miles or so from, from Bethany to Jerusalem. Okay? So in the first part of the story, we see Jesus and he gets hungry on the way. So somewhere in this vicinity, he begins to get hungry. He notices this tree. He curses the tree. They go in. He clears the temple out. They leave. The next morning, they're continuing on their journey. They're headed back. As they're headed back, they see this tree again. And they're amazed by it. They're continuing to walk. Then Jesus begins to speak. And he begins to speak something very interesting. And he says, this mountain. Now I want you to look. And what we have here is we have the Mount of Olives to the right. We have some other hills. Uh, this picture was perfect because we're actually seeing some topography here. But here's what I need you to understand and see. When we're getting up into this area, we're going to start seeing something that every Jewish person would immediately see because it was placed on one of the highest mounts in all of Jerusalem. And it just happens to be facing the way they're walking. It's the Temple Mount. I believe that Jesus was speaking specifically I believe that Jesus is not saying to any mountain. He's literally walking and he says, if you will look at this mountain and say, be removed, it will be. Now, I do believe that God can use that as understanding God moving mountains and doing great things. But I just keep seeing this mountain. What is this mountain? Well, if you book in the stories, if you look at just what happened with him turning over the temple or turning over the tables in the temple, now he's looking at this mountain. He says, listen, listen, if you will believe, if listen, if you will believe what's the greatest thing we can believe, the greatest thing we can have faith and believe is that Jesus came, he died, he, died, he rose on the third day, and now we can receive forgiveness and walk into the throne room of God because of what he did. If we can believe like that, that mountain where the temple stood, where the old way was, where the old covenant had been set up, where they had this idea of what it was to go to God and to forgive forgiveness, that mountain could be removed. 
That's the mountain that we need removed in our lives. And only Jesus could do it. It's in your notes. The point of the temple at this time was atonement for sin and an ability to draw near God. Jesus came to remove that system of relating to God and establishing a new covenant with us. That mountain is gone because of what Jesus will do. That mountain can be removed. Because remember, what's the fig tree? Why does the fig tree get cursed? Because the fig tree wasn't producing the fruit that it was supposed to produce. And so Jesus said, that temple, that way, is not producing the fruit that I should see in our lives that only I can bring. And so Jesus throws it away. He wills it away. He withers it away, excuse me, and it's gone. So he continues on, on Tuesday. In Matthew 21, in just a minute, we'll get there. In, 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 on Tuesday, he begins to teach. The Bible records that Jesus basically on Wednesday teaches three different parables. He teaches the parable of the two sons, the parable of the tenants, and the parable of the wedding feast. For, for time and, and, and what I want to focus in on, we're going to focus only on the parable of the tenants. It's found in Matthew 21. It's a little lengthy, but look, with it, look at it with me. Matthew 21, starting with verse number 33. So now listen to another story. Again, this is the second of three. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop, but the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. So the landowner sent a large group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to his estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. Verse number 40, when the owners of the vineyard returned, Jesus asked, what do you think he will do to those farmers? The religious leaders who were around hearing this story replied, he will put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. Verse number 42. Then Jesus asked them, did you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that has been the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is wonderful to see. So on Tuesday after this a moment of, of, of the, the fig tree, he begins to go into the temple and he begins to teach. He begins to teach these parables and the Pharisees are here. Let me break this down for you very simply. Jesus to their face basically says, guess who you are in the story? They're the tenant farmers. They're the ones who did evil. They're the ones who, when the prophets are sent, who they represent the servants of the vineyard owner, who obviously represents God, who they're killed, they're not listened to. And so what does the vineyard owner do in the story? He sends his son. And what happens to his son? Once again, Jesus is prophesying what's coming later in on the week. And they begin to realize who they are in the story. 
Let me explain to you what's just happened here. Jesus has basically right to the face of the Pharisees taken his foot and drawn a line and then stepped over it. Jesus has basically called them out and said, you're going to lose the vineyard and going to be given to someone else. This was unheard of. Like I was trying to think this week of like a similar thing that we could, that, that, that somebody could say to us to get the same response, and I literally couldn't come up with anything. I mean, this is Jesus saying, you've lost it, and now it's coming. Judgment is coming. Things are going to be different from now on, and it literally shakes the establishment of the religious leaders to their core. It is a big moment in the week. It is a huge time in the week. So let's continue on. Jesus goes back. Let's look at Wednesday. Wednesday won't take long, and then I'll worship, uh, have the worship team come up. So Wednesday, look at Luke. We're in Luke 21. Luke 21. Is it there? There it is. So again, real quick on Wednesday. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple, and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. So now we're on Wednesday. He's gone back. He's come back again, and now he's just teaching. He's just teaching people about the kingdom of God. He's teaching them about what God is wanting to do in them and through them. It's a beautiful moment. Wednesday's a beautiful day for Jesus and his followers. Special day, important day. But there's other things going on. Let's look at Matthew 26. Matthew 26, 3 through 5 says, At that same time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. So on Wednesday, Jesus is teaching. He's explaining He's, he's with the people. He's experiencing the relationship and the closeness that he loves with his people. But somewhere else, people are plotting. Somewhere else, people, instead of hearing the words of Jesus and allowing them to transform their lives, instead of going, oh my goodness, I am that individual who needs a savior. I am that person who has sinned and has fallen short of God's glory. I need a savior. I need forgiveness. Instead of doing that, they begin to plot how to get rid of him. They begin to plan how to remove him from the scene. I don't know about you, but I know in my own life at times, and I know I've met many people who they have an encounter with Jesus. They have a moment where Jesus, in his great love, says some things that, that really hit them to their core. And at that moment, they have a choice to make. They can accept the love, grace, forgiveness of God, or they can begin to plot how to remove Jesus from their own scene. You see, certain people stayed in the temple and heard Jesus teach, and others went away and began to figure out a way to kill him. If the worship teams want to come up, we're going to close. 
I know there was a lot of information to get through this morning. I know that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I know there's a lot that we skipped. I know there was a lot of things. But as the worship team comes up and we get ready to close, I just, I just have a simple question for everybody that's here, everybody that's online. You see, I hope that throughout this message and throughout the understanding of Jesus coming to set up a new system and Jesus looking at the temple and saying, listen, that was fine, but I'm going to do something new. We're going to get to it later, okay? But that temple, that curtain was torn. That wasn't because God just had a moment of just, you know, I think I'll rip something. That temple curtain was torn because when Jesus gave himself for us, it was for once and for all. I've had people come up to me at times and really honestly, not being mean, or, and say, well, why don't Christians, you know, why don't you still, you know, they kind of, are kind of ashamed to say it because it sounds weird, why don't you offer sacrifices anymore? Why, why, do, why do the Jewish people still want to build a temple and, 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 and continue on with a sacrificial system? And it's real simple. It's, it's Jesus. Jesus turned those tables over. Jesus looked at that temple mount and said, if you believe, really believe, that temple mount can be thrown into the sea. The idea of that concept of being thrown in the sea was this concept in their mind of basically being so far removed, it was just gone. Because the sea is just so deep. So it was gonna, the mountain was just going to go thrown into the sea and just sink and be gone. Just. But the question becomes, is as you have maybe learned that for the first time or maybe been reminded of that, what is going to be your response? Will your response be, you know, I, I need this Jesus. I need that forgiveness and that love and that grace. There's, there's this void inside of me that I've tried to fill with other things that just hasn't been enough. Or will you be like the Pharisees and the religious leaders who began to plot how to remove Jesus? You know what's interesting about our culture today? If you really look at it, our culture and, it's, it, and I'm, I'm talking about just the world maybe in general. We have spent a lot of years recently doing everything we can to remove Jesus, haven't we? We've done everything we can to say, we're just gonna remove him from our lives. Uh, you know, and here's the thing. Unfortunately, you can try to remove Jesus but you're still gonna to have to answer to him. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So you, it, it, there will come a day where you're not gonna be able to remove him anymore. And I don't say that to scare you or to shame you, that's garbage, that's not, I tell you that because that's what God's word says and because God has a plan for your life and it's a good plan. It's a plan of grace and love and forgiveness. 
It's not a, it's, listen, it's not a life of perfection. It's not a life that doesn't have pain. In fact, Jesus promised the opposite. But it is this, it is a life of fulfillment. It is a life of grace. It's a life of love. It's a life of joy. It's a life of peace. It's a life of kindness. It's a life of self-control. It's a life that is a journey to all of those things. But it starts with a decision that says, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And so I just want to ask everybody that's here, everybody that's online, a simple question. Do you want to accept Jesus today? Do you want to say, you know what, I've tried it on my own and it just isn't enough? You know what's interesting is, in a lot of ways, this world is still offering sacrifices that just aren't enough. They're offering sacrifices maybe to, to different gods or different pleasures or different things, but there's still sacrifices being made. And they're trying so hard to fill that hole. You don't have to make a sacrifice. The sacrifice has already been made. All you have to do is accept the gift. All you have to do is acknowledge that Jesus is who he said he is. That he died and rose for your sin. That you are a sinner and that you need that forgiveness and that Savior and that grace. And the scripture says that when we come to him, and we acknowledge those things. We, we believe in our heart and we speak with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We will be saved. The old is gone. The new has come. So this morning, maybe this evening, whenever maybe you're watching this online, I just have a very simple question as we begin this journey through Jesus' final week. Will you accept him today? Will you pray that prayer that says, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Come, wash me, make me clean so that I can come boldly into your presence. Jesus, you made a way where there was no way. Listen, if you pray that prayer and meet it in your heart, in that moment, you're saved. In that moment, you're a new creation. So I want you to, in this moment, as I begin to pray, if that's you, just call out to God. There's, a, there, there's not a magic formula. You don't have to say the magic words. You just have to communicate from your heart because God knows your heart. And you will be saved. So Father, we come to you right now. And God, we're so thankful that you sent Jesus. We're so thankful for this final week. We're so thankful for the tables to have been tipped over. We're so thankful that Jesus, you came and made a way where there was no other way. That you did it once and for all. That we don't have to sacrifice anything anymore because you were the ultimate sacrifice. And today, all we do is acknowledge that, accept that, and begin to live a life following you. And so, Father, I know and I believe that there are people maybe here, there are people online that are watching this, that in this moment, they need to come to you. They need to accept that.
and allow you to change them. So Father, right now through your Holy Spirit, I, believe, I ask that you would just draw them to yourself, that you would draw them in, and that Father, they would begin to speak those words. They would begin to speak those, those truths that you love them, that you have a plan for them, that you will forgive them, and that you'll wipe away all their sin and make them brand new. God, you're so good, and we love you so much. Let's all stand. John and the worship team are going to come lead us in a quick closing chorus. Thank you, Father. God is so good. Thank you, God. God is so good. God is so good. He's so God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. There's never. Oh, there's never been anyone like you. There's never been anyone like you. You are worthy. You are worthy. There's never been anyone like you. There's never been anyone like you. You are worthy. You are worthy. God so good God is so so good. You are so good. Thank you, Father. We worship you this morning, God, for making a way for us. Thank you for flipping those tables. Thank you for coming and dying and rising again for us. You're so good. You're so good. And we love you so much this morning. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to come together and be in your presence. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. For those that are online, hey, we love you. We miss you. I know that there's probably some, some people at home that aren't feeling well. We hope you feel better soon. We're praying for you. Listen, hope you have a wonderful week. As you head out, don't forget to grab your peeps. Let's reach our peeps for Easter, okay?
And uh, we'll be praying and knowing that God will use you. And this is going to be something that God's going to use, I believe, to help people come to know Him. So we love you. Thank you. Have a wonderful week. And we'll see you soon.